This is Hope FM. Well, my very special guest is Angela Walker, although I'm going to be calling her Ange through the programme because we're friends. Uh, and uh, it's going it's, first of all, a big welcome. Thank you for joining us, Ange. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honour to be here. Now, the subject that we're going to be talking about today, uh, healing, is both exciting and I suppose to some there are elements of it that might be a little bit controversial. Uh, but So I'm really looking forward to your own experience. But before we, we get into your experience in the whole in the healing field... Tell us a wee bit about your journey to faith. How did that happen? Well, I'd always been brought up in a um, Christian family. So as a kid, I'd go to church every Sunday in Anglican church and, you know, do the right things, as it were. But I have to say, I God was very distant to me. It's sort of, he was like this big... Um, thing, figure as it were, but out over there, like very distant. And I had an opportunity when I was um, 16 years of age to go with a group of youth to um, an annual rock festival called Greenbelt, which I'd never heard of before, never been to before, had no idea what to expect. And they said, oh, Cliff Richard will be there and you too. So that was good enough for me. (laughs) I thought, let's go and hear them. And um, that was just the beginning of me um, actually knowing God in an intimate, personal way. It was just absolutely amazing. So what what actually happened to bridge the gap, if you don't mind me using that term? No, it's fine. Well, a funny thing was, it was um, a weekend, it's normally over the August Bank holiday weekend, and um, there was actually, she looked African, the lady, who got on the stage, she was leading the Sunday service, I cannot remember what she even preached or said. All that I know, she said, bow your head. And you know, you do the typical traditional thing, you bow your head, let's pray. We're all familiar with that. All that I knew is when I lifted up my head, I just wanted to love and hug everyone around me. I was like, what's happened? What's gone on inside me? (laughs) And I was experiencing this overwhelming love. It was God himself actually coming in my heart in a very personal way. I felt, I don't know if you remember, this is for some older folks, the Ready Brett kid advert, and you'd see that glow around the child every time he had Ready Brett. That's what you felt like. (laughs) That's right. I felt like that. I just felt this glow within and just from around me. And it was his divine love in my heart that I'd never experienced before. Before. That was the beginning. That was my, if I can call it, personal encounter with God. And how did you progress uh, f- from then on in? I mean, obviously your training was medical in paediatrics. Um, w- were you already a doctor by then? No, I was I was 16 then. And the funny thing was, I remember going in because they have all these charity tents up in Tearfund um, had was showing a, a video. And it was actually it was during the time when there was the famine um, in Africa. Big t- I know this famine constantly now, but I mean, a big time, a worldwide um, call and Tearfun were making this, you know, plea, please, can you come and give money for these children who are dying of, you know, starvation, kwashiorkor, malnutrition, all the rest of it. And something in me stirred. And I remember feeling like saying, do you know, it's not good enough just to get your hand in your pocket and give. I was like, get out there, get out there. They need you. And suddenly the question came what about you? Are you willing to go? I was like, where did that come from? And I had to stop and think. And I thought, me? Me go to Africa? 
And I was like, and I didn't realise that was God calling me. And I was like, well, okay, if I'm to go, I'll go. And that was the seed planted for my call to the mission field. Tell us something about your your life as a doctor in the the NHS. Well, what can I say? I mean, we are going back now um, 15 years or more when I, um, well, 20 odd years, actually, perhaps when I was last working in the NHS. But um, it was tough. We worked, I worked long hours. It was, I was using the scientific part of my brain. So if you like, it was all the training I'd received. I'd be seeing a child that came into A&E or on the ward and I'd be thinking, okay, they might have A, B or C. We need to do X, Y and Z. And it would be all this methodological way of getting the kid better. And my heart was just to see children, you know, bounce back in the parents' arms and, and discharged. And uh, I'd felt that God had just stirred my heart to go down this path of medicine and particularly in the department of um, paediatrics. But I have to say, I didn't have much time to pray for them. It was just life was so busy. We did long hours then, like 80 hours a week. Um, and it was just you just got quite exhausted, you know, with the with this with the schedule. So I didn't really think of praying for the sick much. But before I went to medical school, I did take a year out. I had what they call like a gap year now. And I went with this organization called um, YWAM, Youth of the Mission, and did what's called a discipleship training school for three months. And in that time, someone actually gave me a word that they felt was from God. And they said, I just feel this is something for God, what God is saying to you. They said, what are you doing after this after this um, discipleship training school? I said, oh, I'm going to medical school. They said, hmm, that ties in. I said, okay, what is it you're sensing? They said, well, I feel it's on the, on the realms of healing, that God is calling you into the healing ministry. But... And they quoted from Zechariah 4, chapter 4, verse 6, you will succeed not by might, nor by strength, but by my spirit. I thought the time, oh, that's just getting me through medical school. I need God because, you know, it was like the five years of academy that I had to do. But no, it went way beyond that. It was going through my 12 years in the NHS as a practicing paediatrician and even beyond that. It was just um, amazing. But I had no idea that the Lord, after I um, became a consultant, that he was actually then calling me out of medicine because to me, medicine had become my life. I was breathing it, living it. Um, It was my everything, you know. But then a dream was to change everything, wasn't it? It was. It was interesting because during my years of training as a children's doctor, an opportunity came to actually go to Africa um, with an organisation called Voluntary Services Overseas, VSO. And you don't have to be a Christian to actually go out there, but this was actually um, an opportunity through the Department of of Paediatrics or the Royal College of Paediatrics, if you like, who I was under. And they said, if any paediatricians would like to go out for um, a year to do um, um, a year's training out in Africa or other nations as well, then you had apply. So I decided to go on this special training scheme um, and I just felt the stirring within me that this was an opportunity from God and, you know, to go out to Africa. And it was just amazing because I actually ended up in Uganda and I was there, um, a place called Umbarara University Hospital and they had a department of paediatrics and I actually went out as a lecturer there and I was there for 18 months. Well, 
That was God stirring my heart for a calling to the mission field and particularly Africa. When I saw these kids that were dying, that there were limited medical resources, my heart would just go out to them. And I saw my first healing miracle one day when I was... um, uh, doing a typical ward round and we had a typical what they call an intensive care out there is nothing like what we have back here intensive care meant you had oxygen and you got blood transfusion there were no ventilators nothing like that um, anyhow there was this little girl and she probably was about seven years of age if that and she'd come in with what they call millery TB tuberculosis that means it spread all over her chest she was breathless she needed oxygen and she was on the standard tuberculosis treatment we gave but she was deteriorating and I knew in my heart of hearts she's not going to make it and so I said to the mum I just something in me just rose and I said can I pray for you, your daughter and the mum in a tribal language nodded her head I had to have an interpreter of course because you know yeah. they didn't understand English and I couldn't speak the language and as I prayed, something within me welled up deep inside, came out of my mouth, and I said words I've never prayed before. And I just said with such authority, in the name of Jesus, I command tuberculosis to go. Be healed in Jesus' name. Simple prayer. And I was afterwards, where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> so you shocked yourself. I did. I, I was like, oh, wow, that was God. And anyhow, I said that prayer, simple prayer. I, I think I had a break after that. I may have had a week's holiday. I can't remember. Came back to the unit, asked where the girl was. She wasn't there. I thought, oh, no, she's died. Looked in the death book. Her name was not there. So I asked the colleagues. I said, where's Joe Bloggs? I said, what's happened to her? They said, she's on the recovery ward. And I went to that recovery ward, this little girl off oxygen, beaming face, just glowing, and the mother glowing. And we knew, I just pointed my hand as if, that's God, he's healed. They, they knew, they knew, they said, yes, he's healed her. And the girl just smiled, he's healed me, I'm going to live. We just knew that was God, no question about it. And what did that do to you? That stirred my heart because I realised then God was putting stuff deep within me about the power of prayer and that where medicines can't heal sickness, he can. He's far greater. And it gave me the faith to not feel disheartened when in the natural I may think they're going to die. There's no more we can do because God's like, why don't you ask me? Why don't you pray? Why don't you come to me? And God was just stirring my heart into this healing ministry, which I knew of, but as a full-time doctor, I had done very little of. So when did the dream occur? I would say it probably started when it got planted in my heart when I saw that Tear Fun video, because that was like the call to the mission field, really, seeing children, you know, um, suffering and dying. Um, And I did have an opportunity to go on what they call a medical elective when you're a student. And during that time, I actually did go to Tanzania. 
And I only had five, six weeks, but I said to the Lord, I said, God, if you are calling me to Africa, you've got to make it clear on this elective. Otherwise, I'm not going because there was no missions in my family. It was a bit hard. Go to Africa. No one had been to Africa. And I just felt during that five week elective, God was stirring my heart for these kids. Every time I was on the kids wards and children would just love me, hug me. I He was stirring me like, Angie, you willing to to come out and minister not just medicines but his love love them pray for them and in that time in my medical elective in Tanzania I said yes to God but of course we had to fast forward then many years later before I was even in Uganda and doing the work I did at that on that children's ward 90.1 Hope FM and hopefm.com now, Angela Walker is my very special guest today. We're talking about all things healing. And, of course, Ange is very well qualified. She is a qualified uh, doctor. Uh, and in actual fact, we left you in Uganda and you came back. And goodness me, it's not just doctor, it's consultant on the I, horizon. I did. I was, I was a registrar, which is a middle grade specialist doctor when I was in Uganda and then when I returned back to England, I was training in London at the time, um, I finished the rest of my training and I became a consultant, which was um, in 2004 in paediatrics. And I, after that, I took on what they call a locum um, job. And that can be good to do. So you test out a job somewhere and you stick, before you... Stick your feet in the water. That's right. And then if they like you, you like them, you like the post, you might decide, you know, to go long term. But God had other plans at you that moment. <laughs> he, he did indeed and took me completely by surprise, completely by surprise. So tell us how, how that happened and because obviously you it brought you to make a big choice, didn't it? It did and I was very fortunate because the pastor of my church was very discerning and very what we call prophetic. He could hear God and he knew that I had a calling which was beyond the NHS and my work here in England and he could see that and he gave me that push in the right direction that I needed so to say but essentially I was feeling a stirring within me to take a sabbatical now you think that is crazy you, you know you've just reached the top you're a consultant you're you know the peak of your career so to say you would not be taking a sabbatical then you're carrying on you're trying to find where you're going to work long term which hospital etc etc but I had a stirring to take a sabbatical but the funny thing was all around me in the local hospitals, all consultant paediatric posts were available. They were just coming up left, right and centre. And I remember going to the different hospitals thinking, well, should I go here? Should I go there? Should I do this? And I just felt in my heart and spirit as if the Lord say, you can, Ange, you'll be a good consultant paediatrician, but I'm waiting for you. So the chief paediatrician had a word in your ear. Indeed. And I'm like, what do you mean, Lord? He's like, I'm waiting. Meaning I've got something else for you. And it's not here in the NHS and it's not a consultant paediatric post. So to my surprise, then, as I took this sabbatical, I just felt the Lord wanted me to read all books on healing, Christian healing, all the people, Smith Wigglesworth and Randy Clark and John G. Lake, all the people that have been in healing, healing evangelists, all the rest. And I just devoured these books. But to, during this sabbatical, I was just feeling a nudge to go to Bible college. And I'm a bit like, 
does this mean I've got to be a pastor? You're calling me to lead a church, Lord? Praise God, no, I didn't. (laughs) But it was to do pastoral ministry work, which is where in whatever setting you reach out to people, you you can pray for them, but it doesn't mean to say you have to be a so-called church leader. And to my surprise then, I just felt him nudge me in the direction. About half an hour's drive from where I used to live was a Bible college called All Nations Christian College, and was very mission focused and I just fell in my spirit this was where he was wanting me next and uh, I was like wow God you have taken me by surprise and um, I then went from being a consultant in the NHS to spending um, a whole year at that Bible college. So obviously reading those books going to Bible college and being I mean you must your brain must have been doing overtime in terms of stimulation but obviously these wonderful writings of faith and the wonderful things that God does all over the world. It must have been doing something to you, you know, spiritually. Um, what it, was happening inside of Ange? It was. You're so right. God, God was after my heart and spirit. He was like, it was long overdue. And without me realising, the NHS was taking everything, my time, my effort, my energy, everything, because, you know, as I said, you, you didn't. it wasn't a 40-hour job, it was like an 80-hour job a week uh, many times. And I just felt the Lord was drawing me into a full-time ministry. I didn't know that at the time, he didn't tell me, but that's exactly the directions I was going in. And one of the things we had to do at Bible College was read the Book of Acts one afternoon. Now, when exactly, normally, you know, you're used to reading the odd Bible verse here or there or hearing it in church. And I was like, read the whole book. And it did. It took you three hours to read it. Well, I tell you now, when I had finished reading that book, a thought came right in my heart. Would you like to do what they did? Would you like to heal the sick? Would you like to set the captives free? Would you like to raise the dead? Would you like to cast out demons? I'm like, wow, God. I felt the Lord was saying, it still happens, it's alive. You can do that. Just what they did 2,000 years ago, if you want to. It's there, it's there for you. And in my heart, I'm like, God, I want to do this. I want to see people healed. I want to see the lame walk, the blind see. He was stirring me. He was just sowing it in me. Just those, the spiritual side of sickness and disease, as I call it, you know, seeing people physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually healed. That was seed sown in him stirring me, having no idea what my future was going to look like. That was God winking at me, so to say. Bringing you, of course, to almost... Well, a very difficult and challenging decision. I don't know whether it was a difficult decision, but was it to be a life as a consultant in the NHS or was it to be uh, God's consultant in in faraway places and home places as well? You're right, exactly. I, I actually was going for... Um I walk in, I used to live by Epping Forest and it was one afternoon, I was going for a walk, it was a beautiful day and I was just in such an upbeat mode, I just was worshipping and praising God, he was just like in my heart and I, in it, I remember I lifted my arms up and I just to God in praise and I said, Lord, I surrender my life to you and I said it with all my heart, with every part of my being. And I had, it was like, I can't explain it. It was inexpressible joy, as if God was right there with me in the forest, me and him in the middle of nowhere, in the midst of trees. No one could see us. So I could do that, you see, because I knew no one was around. It was I was free to do it. Mm. Suddenly, 
that overwhelming joy instantly went. And I felt like a grief come upon me. And instantly I knew God was doing something because that joy was from him and now it was gone. So I said, Lord, what's happening? I said, has someone died in my family? Because it was just a grief as if, who's died? And the words that came straight to my mind were, Ange, it's your paediatrics. Your paediatrics has to die. You have been married to paediatrics and I want you now to become married to me. And I just cried. I wept and wept and wept. And God just shifted something in me. And one, I didn't realise I'd been married to paediatrics. If you said that married to a career, but you know, if a career you live and breathe, and, and I had. So I thought, wow, I hadn't even thought that because I was single then. You know, I didn't have a husband. I didn't know you could, but you can. It can take over you like that where it is. it becomes an idol, I suppose you could say. And God took me through what I can honestly say was a supernatural grief. I would just have spontaneous outbursts of crying and I was letting go of my medical career. And God was calling me to this full-time ministry, devotion to him, where, if you like, he was going to be my professor, my number one boss, but also he was my number one friend. And, as he said, he wanted to be my husband, that level of intimacy with him. And, of course, although you said letting go of your medical career, in actual fact, it was birthing you into a new medical career, but done in God's way. In You've got it. God's absolutely. Time. Absolutely. And that's the beautiful thing. When we let go, then it gives God that opportunity to step in and do what he wants to do in our life. This is Hope FM. Ange Walker, my very special guest today, a consultant in the NHS and hearing from God that uh, God wanted uh, Ange to make the transition uh, from the NHS to something completely different. But I'll let Ange tell you how that process happened. Thank you. Yes, it, it was the, first of all, having to actually um, spiritually let go, as it were, of my career because paediatrics had become my life. So I went through that supernatural grief, as I call it. Um, but I remember one day as well, I was reading um, an amazing book. Some of you may have heard of it by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost for His Highest. And their daily uh, readings, I think his, his wife put the compilation of that book together. And I happened to be reading one daily um, devotion and he was saying in it that surrender is about laying down everything to God, everything, not just career, but your work, your plans, everything you have, your ability, skills. And I remember as I read that um, daily devotion, I felt a conviction in my spirit and I felt as if the Lord was saying, because I, I was thinking, I've got all these bags of all these skills and abilities and, you know, to take with me to go out to Africa. And I was like, Lord, here I've got my consultant as a paediatrician. I've got my master's degree in this. I've got, um, uh, I'd done um, tropical medicine. I had been at the tropical school in Liverpool to do that. So I was fully armed with medical, academic abilities. And to my complete surprise, God said, Ange, lay all them down. He said, the work I have called you to do does not require them. He said, I don't need them. Well, I was gobsmacked. 
<laughs> and I was a bit like, but Lord, Lord, I've worked all these years for these. I've, you know, these are my qualifications. And surely this is where, you know, because I thought I'd be in another medical hospital in Africa, you know, pediatric unit like I had done in Uganda with VSO. And the Lord was like, no. And he suddenly showed me something. He said, Ange, you can be a children's doctor in the hospital, but the glory will go to you. He said, everyone will be thanking you, say, thank you, Dr. Ange, you saved my child's life. And it'll be, thank you, Dr. Ange, thank you, you know, praising you. He said, or, he said, you can follow me in the bushes. I will lead you to the people. I will show you what's the matter, what's really going on. And I will give you the medicine, which was actually prayer medicine then, how to pray for them, pray for the sick. And he said, and... The glory will go to me. He gave me a choice. And I suddenly thought, I've got all these bags of expertise and I can be a children's doctor in the hospital or I can lay them all down and simply follow him. Well, I knew what the right answer was because my life had been, I'd felt a stirring in my heart from when I was young to do his will. I'd even had a dream of my natural dad saying to me, Ange, whatever you do, do God's will. And I knew in my heart the right answer was, Lord, I follow you. I lay all this down. I'm willing to go in the bushes. I'm willing to let you be my physician. So you make the transition, you say goodbye to the NHS, but where do you transition to? It's a big world. Well, it is. And again, this was all after being at the Bible college then. I had a, another few months, as it were, uh, on my own. And in this time, I was seeking the Lord. Lord, what next? Do I join a mission Christian organization abroad? And I was looking at Tear Fund and all the different organizations. But the funny thing was, when I knocked on the door and asked them, they, would, they just said no. They said, there's something else for you. You're not to be with us. And it was so funny. And I was like, okay, God, where is it you're wanting me to go? And then there had been an organisation, which I'd actually poo-pooed from being honest, because I just thought, no, nah, that's not for me. And I remember one Sunday I was in church and... Um, there was this song being played, See um, see Him There Nailed Unto um, the Cross. And the worship leader that was singing it, there was such an anointing on them that I just started to cry. I was just feeling the presence of God overwhelm me. And suddenly it was as if everyone around me disappeared and it was just me and God. And in, in that moment, I actually saw Jesus himself on the cross. Now, people say, yeah, but Jesus is risen. Yes, I'm talking about the risen Lord in a vision on the cross. He looked about four times the size. He had his arms stretched out and he was looking down on me. And he said, said these words. He's, he just had eyes of love and passion staring at me. And he said these words. He said, Ange, I have sacrificed my life for you. Will you sacrifice your life for me? And as he asked me that, everything in my life just flashed before me, everything. 
and he was like saying your career's gone you're no longer living for finances your home's gone relationships gone everything that mattered possessions car everything it was like jump 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 and it was like gone 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 everything's laid down all you have left is me and i cried i was crying i was like lord but i knew this was a call and he was asking me because it was a call to africa it was a call to go where i wouldn't go and do what i wouldn't do and he was calling me with an organization i previously hadn't chosen to be with but this was where he was wanting me to be and the organization Ange? Iris Ministries, now called Iris Global, uh, who, and I honour Heidi and Roland Baker like anything amazing, a man and woman of God, absolutely amazing. So off to Africa you go, and uh, and of course you meet Heidi Baker. Uh, but tell us something about those early days. What was it like? Did it take you by surprise? It did. I, I never thought I'd be going to Mozambique um, or with Iris Ministries. And, had you um, heard of them before? I had heard, and I'd heard of Heidi Baker as a, a guest speaker in a church in England, but I'd never met her before. Um, I'd never. Iris Ministries then wasn't as well known as it is now, even though it's changed its name to Iris Global. So because it started off as a, a, an American Christian mission organisation, then it wasn't as known here in, in England, I suppose you could say, as it was over there. But it's like everything, things start small. So not many people had heard of it then compared to now. Now, of course, the one thing that would have come and probably no culture shock to you because you've been to Africa before. But obviously the NHS that we often take for granted here, they don't have in Africa what you have in Africa is a great deal of poverty indeed and and you know it it is it is sad and it still it still happens out there now people have never seen a doctor um they'll be in the villages they just don't have access they have no transport um the nearest hospital will be miles away and the only access they may have is what they call the traditional healer who can also be called the witch doctor and or in 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 portuguese the curanderos and I felt the Lord, this is why he was wanting or calling me to go in the bushes, in the villages, in the middle of nowhere and and put up medical tents, as it were, to reach out to such people, to draw them to him. That There was a good doctor who cared and loved them and, and his name was Jesus. And many of them hadn't even heard Jesus. They were like, who's he? And I was like, you must be joking. You've never heard Jesus? And they haven't because why? They, they don't have... They, they don't have a television they don't read books they just hear the stories passed down by their parents grandparents great-grandparents ancestral stories um and so why should they they don't have a bible and i was just gobsmacked and and you know the lord was like well tell them who i am you know introduce me to them but yet unlike us westerners they have such an open faith and they'd be like well, I'll try him. OK, let's pray. Let's see what happens. Well, I suppose also that the supernatural would be almost like second nature to some people in Africa because, as you say, the, 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 OK, negative impact with, with witch doctors and so on. But nevertheless, an expectancy for the supernatural. That's right. 
They have. What I realised is because of poverty out there and living more of a simple life, if I can say that, um, because like you don't have bills, you don't have electricity, gas available, you know, you get water from a local river or if you're fortunate, there'll be a well um, or, or, um, or a burrhole that someone's dug, whatever. But basically, because of that, there's just a simple attitude about life itself and they take one day at a time. But also, everyone believes in God. But they'll have different faiths. They might be Muslim, they might be Christian, they may be mixed, but they believe a God exists. So when you say about praying, they've got nothing to lose. They're like, why not? Let's do it. So they will be completely open for God to reveal himself, which is beautiful. So what was your first big challenge then? Or should I say God's first big challenge? Well, I was on this um, outreach, shall I say, and out there because I couldn't do paediatrics because there's no... No equipment, no You've got it. You're a doctor for everybody. So I became like a GP, if you like. And my heart, I was just stirred to go right in these bushes. This is where God wanted me. He didn't want me to be setting up a hospital, running a clinic, which, you know, Heidi would have loved me to have done. I felt the Lord was saying, go in the villages where people, all that they've got is the witch doctor is their medicine. And I remember that when I did this and we set up this tent, so it was like a mobile clinic, this late old lady came in and um, she had body pain and aches all over. And, um, you know, I had a translator there with me and I just felt the Holy Spirit, as I was taking a history from her, a medical history, I just felt the Holy Spirit prod me and say, ask her if she's been the witch doctor. Now, I knew that wasn't me because I wouldn't thought that. So I just responded. I said, have you been the witch doctor? Nodded ahead. So I'm then silently saying to God, well, what do you want me to do? And he says, well, tell her about me. Bring her to me. So I'm like, have you heard of Jesus? No, who's he? So I tell her, I say, well, he's a son of God and blah, blah, blah. God sent his son so many years ago and et cetera, et cetera. So I said, would you like to know him? So she shrugs her shoulders and says, why not? Okay. So I just lead her in a prayer. I just tell her a prayer of, of, of just repentance, of going the witch doctor. And God, I want you in my heart and to encounter your son, Jesus. And I ask you to heal me. Just a simple prayer like that. She repeats after me. Afterwards, I say, how do you feel? She looks at me and says, the pain's gone. She says, I'm fine. I'm completely healed. She had encountered God. He had healed her of all the body aches, whatever she came with. God got my attention. And presumably uh, she didn't keep quiet about that. She, well, she would obviously go back and tell the village and the rest of the people because then she goes back, tells a mate. A mate then's like, I want to come to this, this clinic, this tent. Where is it? And indeed, then more friends come. The same people say, if you can do it for her, you can do it for me. Yeah. So how did that ministry then uh, progress? You know, I mean, what, what would you say were your biggest challenges out there? Um, I would say the biggest challenge itself was knowing that the medical resources I had was very few. So if you can imagine, I had a Land Rover and we would take drugs from the local pharmacy, which obviously were limited supply, basic things like deworming tablets, like antifungals for things like ringworm skin infections, antibiotics for chest infections, um, body infections and stuff. Um, so we would, I would, I would have have a broader spectrum but they were just 
what I call bread and butter medicines, you know. Um, so it was challenging if I saw people, one, that I didn't have the medicines to help them or two, they might need it even admitting to a hospital because, you know, they needed like intravenous medication. They might even need oxygen. So those that were really sick. So that became the most challenging thing for me. However... I the the first few months when I joined Iris Ministries, I had to um, do what they called um, it was a mission school. They called it the Holy Given School. Then this was in two thousand and six, and in those first few months, Heidi wanted me to st- straight instantly start working as a doctor because she'd been praying for a doctor there for the last eighteen months, and it was like you know we want you to set up a clinic, get on, uh, start working. But I felt the Lord say, "No, put your stethoscope down." So I honoured God. I said, I just feel I'm not to do any medical while I'm doing during this, this mission school. But the Lord said, I want you to pray for people. So if they come for you for medical advice, just say, can I pray for you? And in that time, I would be praying for people and I would see God heal them. So prayer became my number one medicine. So in the end, God turned everything upside down. Rather than prayer being my last resort medicine, which is what it previously had been, now it became my number one. So I would pray for everybody first. And if they weren't healed, then I'd think, okay, what me- what's the best medicine I probably can give you? And in some case, it was both prayer and medicine. And that quick and sealing, no, no time. It's amazing. No. Of all the people that you prayed for then, um, Ange, what sort of percentage did you see healed? Was it, was it a bit of a mixture that some you saw God touching and healed pretty much on the spot or soon after? What was, it, what was the mix like? It, it was a mix and, it, you know, it varies, varies from village to village. And in some cases, we could see nearly everyone we prayed for healed, which happened in one particular village. And that was because um, this village all came to me with the same symptoms. And it didn't matter if they were young, old, middle aged. They all for two months, they'd all had like abdominal symptoms, nausea, a bit of a temperature, not feeling well. But when I examined them, I couldn't find anything the matter with them. And suddenly the word came to me, the village is being cursed. And I was like, wow, God. And he was like, just break the curse off. So I was like, well, how did that happen? He said, a witch doctor just came and cursed the village for whatever reason. So I just told my colleague, another doctor, I said, look, if anyone comes with these symptoms, just pray, break the curse in Jesus' name. Do you know, everyone was instantly healed. So in that case, because it was a curse over the village and they all had the same symptoms, everyone, as we just broke that curse in the name of Jesus, everyone was healed but then other cases are like I may go to a village and they've all got cough colds or they might have respiratory because there's been an outbreak of you know some infection and then I might be giving everyone antibiotics because that may be right to treat them I, it was just a whole mixture sometimes I didn't didn't necessarily see physical healing other times I just saw miracles in front of my face you know I, it was you couldn't predict but I just knew that I had to pray for everyone that I saw. So, I mean, you've already said that one of the things was praying. And of course, the other thing, it seems to me as if listening uh, is also quite an important uh, aspect of what God was calling you to do. That's right. You know, ask, asking God, do you think, because obviously that, that was a building block as well, wasn't it? You mean hearing God himself? Yes. 
Yeah, I think I've been on that journey over the years with the Lord of um, learning to become familiar with his voice. So, And it wasn't an audible voice. It would just be like that thought that comes right in your mind. And you even can think the thought's you, but when you know you're not thinking anything like that, you know it's not you. But when that thought is positive, it's to try and help someone, when it's at, it seems a godly thing, then you know it, it's the way God speaks to you. And that's what I was becoming more familiar with when I had these thoughts. I was sensing it was God because it was me stepping out my comfort zone and it was for me to actually step in faith and prayer and just watch and see what he did. So I was not the healer, though they came to me expecting me to be the healer. He actually was the healer instead. Now, there's so much that Ange could share. In fact, we've just been saying that we have to have Ange back uh, because, uh, you know, there's so much encouraging stuff and wonderful healings that Ange saw. But God has now brought you back to the United Kingdom. Uh, and I know you, you're running training courses and so on. You've written how many books thus far? Seven. Seven books. Mm. Uh, and are they available at like at Keith Jones or through your own website? Yeah, both and on Amazon, um, indeed. Uh, books on healing, books on intimacy with God, our journey with God. Um, my first book I wrote actually is called Healing God's Way. And that actually is all about him calling me out of the NHS and that vision I had of the cross and then calling me to Iris Ministries and, um, and stuff. And just some of the miracles I saw out there and what God did really in people's lives. Um, and that was just transforming me because I was seeing healing from a completely different perspective. And, you know, it was only when I was in Africa, I actually realised that there's what I call spiritual and emotional roots to sickness and disease because the Lord, he was teaching me on the job, just like he did the disciples. He was teaching me how to heal the sick. Hence, I've called it Healing God's Way because I... I might see a patient and or person I think, oh, they've probably got this. And the Holy Spirit would whisper in my ear, it's a curse, break the curse. Or he might say, you know, some forgiveness, they need to forgive. And I would just, the moment I had that, I call it word of knowledge, just pop in my mind. I would instantly respond to that because that would override all my scientific medical knowledge. And I would instantly respond. And, you know, nearly all the times, every time I did, I would see the person healed because... God was giving me the clue. He was showing me what was going on. And the medicine was we had to pray according to that issue, as in break the curse, deal with unforgiveness, for example, and then the healing would flow. So that listening to God again, because basically that's what you're putting. That's right. You're underlining in what we said earlier. That's right, you got it. In in pencil. But what about the blocks? I mean, one of the things I know that very often... becomes part of the reason why people don't get healed is that is the, is their inability to forgive. That's right. Jesus was quite strong about that, wasn't That's he? Right. He says, "Well, look, if you don't if you don't forgive, then you won't be forgiven." That's right. I always thought that was really quite strong, but of course, there's a reason for it, isn't there? There is. You know, we don't realise how unforgiveness. It's one simple word, but. It's linked to a whole load of 
like I call it a bag of worms, negative emotions such as anger, resentment, bitterness, um, judgment, hate, revenge. And we don't realise all these what I call toxic thoughts actually can um, induce pain in our bodies. And it can be anywhere in the body. And there's different people who have come to me because, um, you know, they felt in pain, they've wanted medicine for whatever. And I've just felt the Lord say, ask them, who do they need to forgive? Or what happened around the time they developed the symptoms? And sure enough, they may say, I had a bust up with my mother-in-law. I fell out with my husband or whatever. And the moment we address that, they just get complete healing to the body because that was the issue that it's almost like it it just the enemy then had access to put this sickness and disease on the person so i guess people listening to the program maybe who are praying for those to be healing or maybe they themselves need healing that one of the first things to do is go to god you've got it what are the blocks that's right and then listen listen to what god uh, whispers and act upon it i i guess that's right i suppose the other thing that that people are frightened about in praying for healing for other people is um you know um well what happens if they don't get healed certainly i've heard a number of people you know uh be very very confused about that you know the blockages Mm. if you like of course you haven't seen everybody healed that you've prayed for I once asked John Wimber, uh, who prayed a lot, you know, about this, and he he actually saw quite a high percentage of people, but he was troubled about this himself. That's right. I don't know whether you ever, have you ever gone to God and sort of said, why is it that some people are healed and some aren't? Well, do you know, one thing that the Lord showed me earlier on was that not everyone would be healed instantly in front of my eyes but they might be healed two hours later so the moment I discharged them or didn't see the healing then just like when Jesus the man who had leprosy as they left then they got healed so sometimes healing can be the next day there was a lady I prayed for nothing happened the next day she woke up she was fully healed um, the, the, it can it can just be the timing we, we expect it now just because it's not a now does not mean to say God's not going to do it in two hours the next morning or it might be the next week or month um, sometimes he wants us to pursue in prayer and other times it's simply because we've not dealt with the underlying issue because if we say I'm not willing to forgive and that's actually what's behind it if we deal with it guess what healing flows so it, it's sometimes knowing that route other times it's just persistence perseverance with God knowing he will heal can heal and having that faith and not saying he can't so I've seen a whole spectrum and and sometimes God doesn't show the people that they're praying on the spot because he wants to keep us humble we're not the healers he's the healer so he might wait till we're out of the picture then he heals them so the person knows it's God not that person that just prayed for me <laughs> and I suppose the other thing that can cause a lot of people many you know real pain there are many people with strong faith mm. who are carrying illness uh, and they're being prayed for and they haven't yet seen their healing uh, and and you well you know what I'm going to say people might say you know you're that way because of your sin you know people I once uh, interviewed Johnny Erickson you know who, who as you know was a paraplegic in the wheelchair and I I said to her you know what do you say Johnny to people who say you're in that chair because of your sin and you know what do you what would you say to them and she said well, well she'd say well I'd, I'd smack them in the <laughs> uh, she was she was you know yeah. but uh, but so there is a person with high faith but obviously mm. didn't see healing yeah. I, I guess there is no answer to that question because it's it's only a question that God 
can only really that's know. That's right, that's right. And it's like everything, it's a mystery. It, it's just like, it's fantastic when you're just taken by surprise, you're praying someone's instantly healed, um, or as I say, it's X weeks later, or you pray and pray and they die. And But you know, sometimes when I've seen people die, I've just felt the better off in heaven with God because of the suffering that they've encountered on earth and etc. I've just actually felt you're going to, mm-hmm. you know as if that's God's love for them. I know it sounds contradictory. Um, no, because I think death for the Christian is perfect healing. I mean, yeah. I mean, we don't actually think about it in those terms, but I mean, it, you know, when the lion lies down with the lamb and all sickness and healing and pain, mm. the Bible promises that. And although it's, there's a lot of pain and mm. separation for those left behind. That's right. That, as you say, where there's real, real suffering and God brings them home. That's right. For them, it's perfect healing. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I lost my sister. She died of cystic fibrosis. Um, and again, I prayed for her. Many times she was kept alive when she had near deaths and could have died. Mm. And the doctor said, you know, we can't give her any more help or medication. But yet she survived. But yet she ultimately died. And it's like I saw God in her life where if you like he kept her alive and she survived a transplant and all the rest so she was like a living miracle but she ultimately died of it so again it's that whole balance of God can heal he does but yet you know we see people die of things still and it's just holding that balance with God if you're wanting to know more about Angela's ministry you might like to take a note off the website it's Theo Ministries T-H-E-O Ministries dot com and Ange you're running you're running a retreat this coming weekend aren't you tell us where that's at the greenhouse is it it is I'm actually um, it's a local retreat at the greenhouse retreat just the other side of Bournemouth Um and it's starting next Monday and we'll finish the Friday. Um, it's called Healing in the Kingdom. You can find it on the Greenhouse Retreat web. But basically, it's a healing retreat. So it's one of um, engaging our hearts with God as actually hearing God for ourselves. So I'll be teaching on how to hear God and to engage with God. And then there'll be just be um, various sessions in the morning, in the evening, where I'll give a brief teaching and then we'll do ministry. And it'll be things like how to forgive, you know, how forgiving from the heart, things like cleansing our bloodline, um, things like just welcoming Jesus in our hearts to healers of traumas in our life. So people that are needing that inner healing, especially, um, I welcome you um, on that retreat. There are still some spaces there um, and it will just be an intimate group as we share and do what I call corporate ministry as I lead people in, in the healing and they receive it as they engage their hearts with God. This is Hope FM.